0: To Wednesday, December the 23rd, a We Tackle Life podcast. Bruce Hooley with you. Thanks for joining us. Appreciate it very much. we got some uh, good news to uh, talk about today. Well, not a good news. Got Not good news for Don Brown, and it's not good news for Dwayne Haskins. It's it's good news, I guess, for me that I have things to comment on here as uh, we welcome you to the podcast two days before Christmas. Uh, don't know if you got your shopping done. Don't know how your shopping's been impacted by COVID, but uh, Christmas will be Friday and in the faith portion of the podcast a little bit later on. I'll touch on something that I did inadvertently that I thought was a major mistake that ended up being kind of a cool thing, which is what often happens in our lives uh, when we try to live obediently to Christ. So let's start with uh, Ohio State basketball today against Rutgers. I'll be covering that game, Value City Arena, 430 tip. So if you're listening to this on uh, Wednesday as soon as it's published around 11 a.m., don't forget the Buckeyes play at 4.30 today. If you have the day off from work, uh, dial it up. I think it's a Big Ten Network game. And this is a big test for Ohio State. Uh, they will be dealing with a team that's 19th in the country And Rutgers. I know we used to, we're used to dismissing Rutgers because hmm, it's Rutgers, right? Uh, and their football team is not as bad as it used to be, but it's still not anything that really throws a scare into Ohio State. Their basketball team is really good, and their basketball team can score. Average 82 points a game. So it's going to really test Ohio State. And this is one of those bring-your-own-juice kinds of games. No fans. Home environment. Doesn't matter. Doesn't help. And this is a game you need to win. They should have won the game at Purdue. They did not. They played terrible down the stretch. Then against UCLA, they corrected everything they did wrong down the stretch against Purdue. They did right down the stretch against UCLA. They got to the free throw line. They were in the double bonus. So they didn't. Jack up shots. They worked the ball. They made shots late in the clock, but they also got to the free-throw line. So they showed growth. I think they're a well-coached team. Ohio State is. Chris Holton does a great job coaching the team. They're still trying to figure out their minutes, still trying to figure out who should play uh, what minutes. Eugene Brown made a move with the two three-pointers down the stretch against UCLA and three in the game. So I think more Eugene Brown, and you know I've been campaigning all year for more Zed Key. I really like Zed Key. And it's – to the point where I think maybe it's time to look at Zed Key as a starter. But uh, you never know. Maybe the kid would be too uh, wrapped up in that and that mess with his head. You hate to put a guy like Kyle Young on the bench, although Kyle can handle it. He's mature, and he'd be a great energy guy off the bench. So we'll see what happens today with Ohio State and Rutgers. I'm a big Ohio State basketball fan, and you all know that. I'm well-proven my lunacy on Twitter during a game. So uh, hopefully I'll rein it in, but I'll be writing that tonight for PressProsMagazine.com. That's where you can find all my stories on Ohio State basketball. Uh, Let's go to the National Football League. And before we get to the Browns and their chances of winning the AFC North, which is looking better and better every day, thank you, Cincinnati Bengals, for that upset of the Steelers on Monday night, 27-17. Third straight Steeler loss. Before we get to the Browns, though, former Buckeye Dwayne Haskins, 15th overall pick, Washington Redskins. The knock on Dwayne Haskins' maturity. Had the starting job this year, lost the starting job this year, fell out of favor with Ron Rivera. Redskins lead the NFC East. Dwayne Haskins has inherited the quarterback job back because Alex Smith has a strained calf. Ron Rivera instituted a dedication to accountability. Everybody's got to be responsible. The knock on Dwayne Haskins is he's not responsible, he doesn't take his job seriously. So And he didn't play well, so he lost the starting job. Now, because of injury, Haskins is back in. He played okay Sunday, not great. Actually, he didn't play that great, 5.6 yards per attempt. But he gives him the best chance to win. Well, after that game, a loss, he goes to a strip club, which guys go to strip clubs. I mean, you know, from a morality standpoint, um, you can make a big deal out of it, but, you know, that's young men do that, uh, and more than young men. <laughs> so, uh, unfortunately... So anyway, Haskins goes to a strip club, and he's there. All, so people are not upset. This is the this is the whole COVID thing, right? People are not as upset he went to a strip club as they are upset that he went to a strip club without a mask. So it looks bad. NFL policing the whole mask thing, finding coaches, taking draft picks away if you mess with the COVID protocols. So Haskins, that's not showing maturity. That's not showing buy-in. That's not showing dedication. It's not the kind of behavior you want out of a quarterback. And it's the antithesis of what Ron Rivera is trying to incorporate with the Redskins, which is accountability. So now the Redskins need the win to stay in front in the the NFC East, but does Ron Rivera sacrifice his short-term goals, his long-term goals, for short-term good? His long-term goals are build a culture of accountability. His short-term goals win the NFC East. He has a better chance of winning the NFC East with Dwayne Haskins playing Sunday than he does if he puts in, you know, two knuckleheads who've never played before. I guess the one guy played a game in Carolina. They'd love to get Alex Smith back. That may not be an option. But there you have the complete total opposite in terms of teammate respect. You have Alex Smith, who literally nearly died from a compound fracture of his leg and worked and worked and worked and worked. If you haven't seen this the ESPN, I think it's an ESPN production on Alex Smith coming back to the NFL. You're really missing it. It's it's amazingly inspirational, and you just think, wow, all this to play football, why would you ever get out there again? But he's doing it, he's played well until he strained his calf. So what does Ron Rivera do? Haskins apologized, of course, on Twitter, and um, I don't know if the league's going to weigh in. No idea, but that's where it sits with Dwayne Haskins. All right, now, before we get to the Browns, a reminder, Hemisphere Coffee Roasters, great place to go. Final push for Christmas gifts, it's a short drive over to Mechanicsburg, very short, nice country drive, Google it, you'll be able to find the uh, lovely little village of Mechanicsburg, and you can pick up a coffee gift pack or some kind of, you know, uh, great array of flavors, or maybe you know somebody and what they like, and Hemisphere will have it. I love Hemisphere. My daughters love Hemisphere. Chris loves Hemisphere. Everybody who knows and meets the people from Hemisphere love Hemisphere, and we're, keeping, we're trying to continue to drive business to Hemisphere Coffee Roasters' website, HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com, and toward that vein, you get 15% off when you use the promo code WETACKLELIFE. Hopefully, you will stay a repeat customer of Hemisphere, not only so we can retain them as a sponsor of the podcast, but so they can continue to do the great things that they're doing with their growers around the world, Indonesia, Thailand, Ethiopia, Nicaragua, Really great people at Hemisphere, and your, their coffee's second to none. Second to none. Hemisphere Coffee Roasters.com. Use the promo code We Tackle Life, all caps, and they'll get you set. Uh, Spiels, I see, has uh, now gotten uh, along with every other NFL team looking for a head coach. A little bit easier way to seek a head coach because the NFL has approved two hour Zoom meetings with candidates. Even while their teams are still engaged in the season. So, if you want to interview, you know, Eric Bienemi is a hot name. If you want to interview him. Uh, you want to interview the guy from the Titans. Is it Arthur Smith, the offensive coordinator? Uh, all the hot assistant coaches now take a two hour break out of their day and they can interview on Zoom and you can see if you want to pursue that more. So, I do not have any news that I can share on the Detroit Lions head coaching job, but I know Chris is deeply immersed in that in his new role with the Lions as uh, assistant to the CEO, president, and team owner. He'll do a great job. We miss him on the podcast, but I'm thrilled for my man. Okay, Browns. What do the Browns have to do to win the AFC North? You would think this would be in every story on the Browns. It is not. It's hard information, hard to find, but here's the deal. The Browns have to win their next two games, Sunday against the Jets at the Meadowlands, and then home against the Steelers the final week of the regular season. If the Browns win their final two games and and the Steelers lose their final two games, the Browns are the AFC North champion for the first time in 31 years. I would say the Steelers are not going to lose their final two games. One of them's against the Browns, obviously. The other one's against the Colts this Sunday. Now, it's in Pittsburgh, but again, fans' atmosphere not the same. And Pittsburgh's lost three in a row, and they looked awful in the first half against the Bengals. On Monday night. Lose to the Bengals. You deserve what you get, Pittsburgh. They can't run the ball. Big Ben looks old all of a sudden. The juggernaut that was the Steelers when they were 11-0. Now they're really reeling at three at 11-3. They've given up the, f- the second seed in the AFC to the Buffalo Bills. And they've clinched a playoff spot. But they could go into the playoffs losers of five straight games. Because it's not far-fetched to think that the Colts could beat the Steelers this week in Pittsburgh, and if they do, then the the game in Cleveland will be for all the marbles uh, in the AFC North. Uh, Browns can clinch a playoff spot. I know it's hard to believe they haven't done that yet, but they can clinch a playoff spot with a win Sunday against the Jets and a loss by any of these three teams, Ravens, Dolphins, Colts. So if the Browns win in the Meadowlands and the Steelers beat the Colts, you're going to see like the backups to the backups for the Steelers against the Browns the following week in Cleveland because the Steelers will have clinched the division and the Browns will have clinched a playoff spot. Nothing can change. The seeding of the Browns in the wild card could probably change, so they'll probably still play their starters. Steelers aren't going to play anybody in that game. So you'll have a better idea of what that finale against the Steelers will look like based upon the games of this weekend. Bengals win did not, did not impact their draft position. They're still third because they have three wins now, three, 10, and one. But what it did was it pretty much assured them they're not going to get the top pick. I mean, Jacksonville and the Jets each have one win. You would not think that Jacksonville and the Jets would each win their next two games. Then it would go to a tiebreaker, and I honestly don't know who would get the first over pick. But if the Bengals had stayed on two wins, and then, eh, you know, Jets beat the Browns, Jags win another game, who knows? But for what the Bengals need in the draft, they don't need a quarterback. Joe Burrow's the guy. Everybody wants to get up there and get a quarterback. Trevor Lawrence, obviously, the Jets want him, the Jags want him. Justin Fields will be a super high pick, maybe the second pick overall. Um... I don't know if the Jets don't get the top overall pick. Who knows if they would pick Justin Fields and give up on Sam Darnold, or would they pick Panay Sewell, the Oregon left tackle? This is going to be a very interesting draft in that there are a lot of guys who did not play this year, and I wonder how NFL teams will view them. They chose to protect themselves rather than to play. Um, I understand the decision, but I also understand why if I'm a GM, I'm looking at that and going, hmm, is this guy always going to prioritize his health? Or once he gets his money, is he going to play with a singular focus on winning? Or is he about the money? It introduces a lot of questions that I would want answered as an NFL GM. If the Bengals come out of this draft with Panay Sewell, the left tackle from Oregon, they could play him at left tackle. They could move him to right tackle. They could move Jonah Williams to right tackle. The Bengals would be, and Joe Burrow particularly, would be very, very happy to get Panay Sewell. Assuming Panay Sewell's all in, which I assume that he is. Um, Okay. On the college football front, Michigan inexplicably is apparently going to stick with Jim Harbaugh. I I do not understand this. The there is more than handwriting on the wall. There is more than smoke indicating fire. 6 years in and they're going the wrong direction, okay? 2 and 4. If if they had shown promise in the last 2 years, I would be more apt to write off this year as a COVID aberration. Not fair to hold a guy accountable with COVID, this, that, the other. But the trend with Michigan giving up 118 points the last two years to Ohio State is that Michigan is not getting better. So somebody's got to fall on the sword, and it is Don Brown, the 65-year-old defensive coordinator. Now, I'm not arguing that Don Brown should not lose his job. I thought Don Brown should have lost his job at the end of last year. He did not. Uh, They did not improve this year. They were 12th in the 14-team Big Ten in points per game allowed and in yards per play allowed. That's not good. Don Brown is out. So now Jim Harbaugh has to find a new defensive coordinator. Who will it be? The first name I've seen listed is Derek Mason Vanderbilt, former Vanderbilt head coach. Yes! Yes! Yes, the man who gave us Sarah Fuller as place kicker, even though he had a punter on his team who could have kicked Derek Mason in a shameless virtue-signaling attempt to keep his job. Uh, put Sarah Fuller out there, got national headlines, but did not save his job. So Derek Mason was an assistant on Harbaugh's staff at Stanford. So maybe, maybe Derek Mason will bring uh, a female kicker to Michigan football. And... Um, Stand by for that. I don't know. But that's where we are. Don Brown is out. Harbaugh is apparently still in, although there's no new deal in place. He has one year left on his deal at $8 million per. And as long as Matt Campbell doesn't get hired anywhere, uh, then I guess Michigan can mark time and delay the inevitable until next year because I do not see them making any appreciable impact or improvement next year. But if Matt Campbell goes somewhere else this offseason, somebody hires Matt Campbell, uh, then Michigan has really blown it because the guy who fits them perfectly, you say, what about Luke Fickle? Doesn't he fit him perfectly? He does. I just don't think Luke would. I, I I have my doubts whether Luke would take it. Now, Luke might take it, but Luke might turn it down as well. So we'll see. Watch out if James Franklin would leave. I don't know where he'd go at the moment because it doesn't look like Clay Helton is going to get canned. It doesn't look like Tom Herman is going to get canned. But there are always, you know, maybe Brian Kelly retires. Who knows? And the Notre Dame job is open, and that changes everything. The dominoes start to fall. So a lot to shake out yet. Uh, We don't know how it'll shake out, but it shakes out with Don Brown uh, being uh, booted out of the Michigan facility and heading off into retirement uh, after, you know, first three years, Michigan's defense was tremendous under Don Brown. And then uh, lost it, clearly lost it, and uh, he pays the price. Our attorney firm of choice is Willis Spangler Starling. They do a phenomenal job with any kind of legal issue that you have. They can help you through workers' compensation. There are some firms that do nothing but workers' compensation. All the different variants of a workers' compensation case can be exceedingly complicated, and Willis Spangler Starling has attorneys dedicated to just that. They have attorneys dedicated to personal injury. Wills and estate planning, probate, all this stuff is really complicated. And there are benefits to being a client of a firm that has more than one attorney because then, you know, how much time can a person have to devote to all the different specialties? But it also is not a benefit to be a client of a humongous firm where you're just a number. Willis Spengler Starling's in that sweet spot in between where they have enough attorneys on staff to have the expertise but not so many that they lose the personal touch. So that's what I love about Willis Spangler Starling. First name basis with a lot of the attorneys there, and you will love them. And now's the time to settle in your mind where you're going if you have a legal issue, not when you need someone. So vet them now and be ready later if and when things cross your plate. Unfortunately, in our litigious society, it's more often uh, a certainty than a possibility. Willis Spangler Starling online at willisattorneys.com, willisattorneys.com. A little bit on Clemson and Ohio State before we get to the faith portion of the podcast. I believe, as I've thought this through, it is a distinct advantage for Ohio State to have played only six games. And I mean a serious advantage because Dabo Sweeney's trying to portray this as it's an advantage for Clemson. It's not an advantage for Clemson to, he says, well, see, we only got six games to study on tape. That's true. But Ohio State did not need to go very deep in its playbook to win those six games. Clemson, it lost uh, Notre Dame and faced a rematch against Notre Dame, and it played North Carolina. And so maybe Clemson didn't play North Carolina. Did they, they play Miami? or I think they played Miami. Yeah, that was it. They didn't play North Carolina. Clemson playing 11 games has twice as much film out there, so there's, more ability for Ohio State to study Clemson than there is for Clemson to know everything Ohio State can do. And I think that's a distinct advantage, aside from the fact that Ohio State's players are definitely going to be fresher having played six games as opposed to playing 11. Now, does Ohio State have a detriment in that maybe they haven't honed things through repetition as much? I'd say yes if they weren't a veteran team, and they are a very veteran team. So I think that's a big advantage for Ohio State as they play Clemson on January the 1st, 8 o'clock-ish kick in the Sugar Bowl. That is the scene where Ohio State won its only college football playoff semifinal game against Alabama, 2014. It is also the place where Clemson got housed last year by LSU. So both these teams have a history in the Sugar Bowl. Ohio State's is pleasant. Clemson's is unpleasant. There will be 3,000 fans at the game in the cavernous New Orleans Superdome. I guess it's the Mercedes-Benz Superdome now. And this game will boil down last year. The oddity of that game for Clemson is that they won it, even though Trevor Lawrence had a really pedestrian day throwing the football. He didn't throw a pick, though. And Justin Fields threw two. I think Ohio State's passing game this year is better. Clemson's offensive line has four new starters. I don't think they're as good as they were on the offensive line a year ago. And the question will be, can Ohio State run the football on Clemson the way it did a year ago? Dobbins is a better back. J.K. Dobbins is a better back than Trey Sermon or Master Teague. But with the way Ohio State blocked against Northwestern, and I know Clemson is not Northwestern, still, Clemson's going to have a problem stopping Ohio State running the football, given how Ohio State has run the football this year behind that line when that line is healthy and intact, and the fact that Justin Fields can run. And that is the wild card that Clemson has not seen on tape, and I believe they're going to see a lot of it, a lot of it, in the semifinal, particularly in the red zone. And that's where Ohio State had problems last year. So I actually think Ohio State is going to win this game. And they might win it comfortably. Just because I think Ohio State's running game can shorten the clock. I think Justin Fields can make some big plays with his legs. I don't think Clemson is impenetrable defensively to the deep ball, particularly with their safety, Nolan Turner, who made the game-ending interception on the final, essentially final play. Last year, Nolan Turner has to sit out the first half because of a dumb targeting penalty against Notre Dame. It was just dumb to get the penalty, not that it wasn't targeting. Uh, So he's got to sit out, and that will hurt Clemson in the back end. So the more I look at this matchup, given the motivational edge that Ohio State has, having wanted to rematch with Clemson all this time, I I actually think Ohio State's going to win this game, even though they are not favored to win the game. And we'll see how it shakes out. Ohio State-Alabama for the national championship in the Orange Bowl or Ohio State against Notre Dame for the national championship in the Orange Bowl. How about that? That wouldn't be bad. That would not be bad. Uh, remember for health insurance consultations, our uh, go to firm is AUIInfo.com. Chrissy and Steven, you don't you don't get just health insurance information. So many companies have HR issues or HR questions but lack the budget to have an HR specialist. That is why AUI added Julie to their firm so that they can relate to you in one of those areas where you might be flying blind, and boy, if you fly blind in an HR issue, and it catches you, and you're not through anything nefarious, but just through a mistake of uh, omission rather than commission, and you're liable from an HR standpoint, wow. So, the thing that Chrissy stresses to me all the time with AUI is their ongoing relationship with people. They're not someone that you contact for health insurance, get your policy set, never hear from them again. They maintain their relationship with you. They're very hands-on, like Willis Spangler Starling, our attorney firm. I like to do business with small firms where I know the people and I know their names and I know that, well, you got a problem, go see this person. AUI is a 17-person family business started by Chrissy's grandmother. Great story, phenomenal story how this business has grown and prospered over the years. So if you need health insurance as an individual or as a company or as a small business, and if you'd like to get the added benefit of HR advice without that big out-of-pocket spending on your part, AUI Info is definitely the place to go. Easy to interact with them on their chat feature. When you just go to their website, a chat pops right up, and they can help you with anything that you bring to the table that particular day. Quick question answered, boom, you move on. Or if something more complex, maybe you set up a Zoom meeting and get that taken care of. auiinfo.com auiinfo.com AUI Uh, You can email the podcast. i got to get the email changed right now. It's still SpielmanHooleyPodcast at gmail.com. But we'll get that changed. We'll get the name changed. We'll get the logo changed uh, while I'm off here during the holidays. Uh, This one comes from Bearden. Bearden. He says, hello, Merry Christmas to you both. I was happy and saddened with the news that Chris has a new opportunity with Detroit Lions. I have no doubt that someone of his high character and football IQ will do great things to help that franchise get pointed in the right direction. I'm happy to see a great opportunity presented to such a great individual. I'm, I'm of course, saddened that the opportunity means the end of the We Tackle Life podcast in its current format. The podcast has helped me grow in my faith, uh, but I will always remember it for the kind words of comfort from the September edition where the two of you addressed an email that I sent hours after my father passed away. I played that episode for my mom and sister, and it was a great comfort to them as well. Your prayers and thoughts helped us through a very difficult time, and I cannot thank you enough. Best of luck, Chris. To Bruce, I will continue to listen, and best of luck to you as well. Thank you, gentlemen. Well, thank you, Bearden. We appreciate the affirmation, and we're thrilled <clears throat> thrilled that whatever it was we said on that particular occasion was a comfort to you, and uh, we're just the, the, the messenger. The comfort comes from the truth of Scripture, not from any uh, great insight on our part that we have that, Uh, is not available to anyone else through uh, the reading and the study of God's Word. So with that, uh, let me transition into the faith portion of the podcast. And I want to tell you something that happened to me years ago. I believe the year was uh, 1997, I believe, Christmas 1997. And I had had a really bad uh, year with something that had happened. I may get into that in a future podcast of what that particular circumstance was. Because today, actually yesterday was the anniversary of it. But uh, I want to think it through so I can make the most spiritual impact with it. And um, But at any rate, Christmas 1997, I was attending a church that asked me if I would read scripture at the Christmas Eve service and if I would light the final candle in the Advent wreath. Now, if you're not someone who knows what an Advent wreath is, it's very... Um, easy to explain. Advent is is the name given to the Christmas season in the Christian calendar, okay? So when you get into the Christmas season, they call it the season of Advent. It's like the advent of Christ's birth, the advent of him arriving, okay? His debut, his coming to earth. Uh, it's the advent of a new, new, a new era in Christianity, a new way. Previously, you were supposed to obey the Ten Commandments and all the laws. This new way to um, have a relationship with God was individual. And through repenting of your sin and accepting Christ's perfection as your own was the, you know, Advent is a word that means coming. So this is what the Advent season is. In the course of Advent, the way you the visual given to Advent so people can follow it is that the four Sundays out from Christmas, there's, you signify that by a candle for each of the four Sundays. Okay. And so like on the fourth Sunday out from Christmas, you'd light a candle and they give it a name, the candle of hope or the candle of anticipation or, you know, you're anticipating Christ's arrival, the hope that he has. I don't know what all the particular words are applied to the candle, It's not really germane to the story. But the point is, I was supposed to light on Christmas Eve. The The four Sundays prior to Christmas had already passed. Christmas was in the middle of the week. There's one candle left in the center of the wreath. So you'll have a wreath on a table. There'll be a big white candle in the center that signifies Jesus Christ. White because white being a color of perfection. The four candles around the white candle in this instance, were bright red candles, okay? So every Sunday, fourth Sunday from Christmas, third Sunday from Christmas, second Sunday from Christmas, Sunday before Christmas, you light one of those candles. So I get up to read the Scripture, and all four of the red candles are burning and have been burning for a while. The white candle, signifying Christ, has not been lit yet. I'm supposed to take one of the red candles and tip it over and write, light the white candle after I read the scripture. from I'm sure it was from Luke 2, which is, you know, the angels appearing to the shepherds on the hillside. So I read the scripture. I take one of the red candles, and the candle wasn't you know was like a little uh, thin candle. It was probably, probably as big around as your fist, okay? So it's a good-sized red candle. And I tilt the red candle to light the white candle, and unbeknownst to me, until I got back to my seat— um, <clears throat> I spilled <laughs> red wax because what happens when you light a red candle, it pools wax in the, you know, in the reservoir of the candle. I didn't see it because it was dark in the service. I get back to my seat. I sit down. I look, I'm relieved that I didn't screw up the scripture and everything's good. And I can now I can sit and enjoy the rest of the service without being nervous about getting up in front of people. And I look at the white candle. And the white candle has, like, red all down the front of it. And I realized what happened. In tipping the red candle, I poured the red wax all over the white candle. All over it. And I'm like, for a second, I'm like, wow, did I screw that up? I marred marred the perfect candle. I marred the Christ candle. And then I thought, wait a minute, that's kind of cool. Like that candle looks like somebody bled all over it. And really, that's why Jesus came. He came as a baby, but he came knowing full well he was going to bleed and die on the cross. My pastor came up to me after the service and said, did you see how cool that was? So we were on the same page there. We have a phrase in sports... Called man on a mission. You know, when you're single-minded, you're prepared. Chris was a man on a mission in the NFL. LeBron James, man on a mission. Come back to Cleveland. I'm here to win a title. I'm sure Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving think that with the Brooklyn Nets. Whatever. You have a mission. You're dedicated to the mission. You're single-minded in the mission. You press forward all the time, never losing sight of the mission. Jesus Christ coming to earth as a baby came with a mission. It wasn't to be a baby. It wasn't to just experience humanity as a human being. He came with an express mission to live 30 years, then announce his ministry, explain a new way to reconcile yourself to God, a new way to be forgiven of your sins, and to die on a cross. That was his mission. He accomplished his mission. And because he accomplished his mission, we can... Attain a perfection we never could have attained on our own. We are stained with all kinds of sin, inside, outside, through our actions to others, through our attitudes, through our words, through our deeds. We are stained and we could never be acceptable to God unless those sins were cleansed from our record, wiped away, made as if they never happened. And the way that that happens, the way that transaction happens, is through jesus death on the cross and we make a purposeful decision to say i'm trusting in that i don't trust in any good deeds that i do i don't trust in anything that i do because anything that i do as paul says in the bible is our filthy rags to god they have no use to him none because we soil them with our sin our attitudes our words our deeds But in tipping that candle and pouring that red wax on that white candle, I think I inadvertently, and I really do think it was a God moment, I I inadvertently connected Christmas to Easter. We are celebrating Christmas Friday. I hope you have an awesome Christmas with your family. I certainly hope the message of Christmas, the hope of Christmas, is not lost upon you. And I would encourage you to think about connecting it to Easter because the two are irrevocably linked. Jesus came, let's say he came at Christmas, but he came for Easter. Chris has said before, he's not the God of Christmas, he's the God of Easter because that was the mission. Easter was the mission. Dying on the cross was the mission. Providing a way to be reconciled to God was the mission. Rising from the dead to new life was the mission. And Jesus is coming back. I get, uh, I am guilty of focusing on a lot of things about my relationship with Christ without thinking about the absolute truth that Jesus is coming back. He is coming back for his church, and when he comes back, will I be prioritizing will i have prioritized will i have engaged in will i have done am i doing the things that he wants me to be doing and prioritizing the thing he wants me to elevate and am i on mission for him because he had a mission his mission was to come and to die and to provide a way for us to be reconciled to him and i so certainly hope you know the the certainty of that hope this Christmas season and I hope that uh, you understand that much like I inadvertently poured the wax from the red candle onto the white candle, that is what God can do and will do in your life with your mistakes. Instead of focusing on your mistakes Instead of me focusing on, oh, look at that. I poured red wax on a candle. I ruined it. No. God used that to bring home a powerful message about Christ's mission in providing atonement for our sin. Similarly, if you've done something in your life that you think, oh, I can't be forgiven for that. I betrayed that person. I, I lied to that person. I did. God can take your—God mis- will, not can will, if you join him and seek him and endeavor to serve him, God will take your mistakes and find a way to apply them to the betterment of your life, your spiritual growth, the growth of others, and the furtherance of his kingdom. I believe that with all my heart, and I hope that that is real to you. And uh, true for you, and I have um, <clears throat> I have found that to be true in my life. So, uh, blessings to you on this December the twenty third. Hope you have an awesome Christmas, a meaningful Christmas, and remember the mission of Christmas um, was the mission uh, that Jesus accomplished. Not just by coming on Christmas, but by dying on Easter and rising again. Thank you for your time today. Have a great day.